Hey everyone, this is Matt. I hope that you enjoy this week's teaching on Hebrews chapter three. As a community, we continue to unpack the book of Hebrews, taking each chapter verse by verse, truly learning to discover and step into the revelation of what it means as Jesus, Lord of all, Jesus as our high priest, and what role we play in the kingdom of God when we become co-laborers with that exact nature of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I love about Hebrews and one of the things that I have really been enjoying ever since we started this series is that it feels like with the turning of each page and every new chapter that presents itself, there's a new revelation of Jesus Christ to be stepping into a new revelation of his lordship, of, of his priestly nature, and the privilege that we get to have in the kingdom of what it looks like to hear an invitation from Jesus, inviting us into that nature to be partakers of it with him to manifest that in the world. I hope that as you listen to this message, that there's a conviction that takes place in you of the passionate love of Jesus for you and the way that he is drawing you to him even now. Love you guys. Have a great week. few of your Bibles, please open those to Hebrews chapter 3. If you were here uh, last week, um, we, we kind of ended in a weird spot of where we were in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, and then we, um, we had a beautiful time in the presence of the Lord last week, and then we got to, like, I don't even remember now, we got to Hebrews chapter 2. I remember reading 13 and 14, and um, we didn't make it through the whole chapter, but um, for those of you that maybe this is your first time or here on a Thursday night, or the, and this is your first time here since we've been in the book of Hebrews. We are currently in a series walking through the book of Hebrews, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and reading it slowly. Not, not reading it for completion, reading it for, for retention. We're reading it to encounter something, not just, not, just, not just to finish something. And so we've been in this series of well, I'm sorry, we came out of a series of learning what it means to minister to the Lord and live out the gospel every day. And, and, and when we say minister to the Lord, what does that mean? We went through that for 12 weeks. The book of Hebrews, in our opinion, is the book that most appropriately introduces Jesus as our high priest that even makes ministering to him possible. And so um, for the sake of the time that we have, um, some things that I'd like to do here at the end, I want to just immediately jump into um, Hebrews chapter 3. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the uh, Passion Translation as, as I have this in front of me. So if, if you have a phone with you and you want to change it to that one, um, uh, cha- you can change it to that. But if not, uh, follow with me. We're going to read through this slowly and we'll begin going through this, through this chapter. Jesus, help us. Give us understanding spiritually. Give us sight spiritually and help us read this with you. King Jesus, bring life to your written word and help us understand and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, dear brothers and sisters, you are now made holy and each of you is invited to the feast of your heavenly calling. So fasten your thoughts fully onto Jesus, whom we embrace as our apostle and king priest. Stop right there just for a minute, even within this first verse. Now, we don't, essentially know who the writer of Hebrews is. It's, it's said that the author of Hebrews could have been 
like and any three individuals, one of the most popular opinions is that the book of Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. So totally not wanting to assume the, uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews, um, so, but just simply just using it so that we can have a name for the author and attach it to the example. I'm just going to say that Paul is saying, even though we're not totally confident that he wrote this, you have to understand that Paul is addressing a group of people that are coming out of Judaism into Christianity and literally walking this journey of coming through the torn veil into a new covenant. And you have to understand that they're coming from a system of I am what I do. I am how I behave. I am what the law says I can and can't do. They are coming from a right and wrong, do and don't, black and white law that was actually, um, there, there was no life in it until Jesus came to be the fulfillment and the propitiation of that law to say, hey, I, I sum up this law in, in myself. Look to me. It was the end of all self-righteous striving. It was the end of all religious striving into relational resting. And so you have to understand, imagine a group of people who for years upon years upon years, practice upon practice upon practice, believed I'm holy because of what I do, not because of who I am, not because of what someone says about me. And sadly, how many of us can say that this is true for us today? Where we, 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 we sit down to be with the Lord, we trudge through about maybe 15, 20 minutes, if we even last that long, of self-hatred, self-inspection, navel-gazing, of do this, don't do that, if I would have done this, if I would have done that, well, if I wouldn't have lost my temper with my kids, if I was a better dad, if I was a better mom, if I was more present in this, if I would have done better on this, if I wouldn't have fallen into this again, self-inspection, and all of a sudden we behold as a mirror our own faces rather than the face of the risen king. And you begin to do something that on this side of the cross, I would actually present to you tonight is actually illegal in the kingdom, which is trying to be holy and righteous in your own vein and in your own strength. Because when we do that, that's exactly what it is that we're doing. That's exactly what it is that we're doing. We are trying to say, Jesus, you did not do well enough on the cross. Let me hop up there for you and I will die in your place and take upon my own guilt and shame. You couldn't do it. That's why he did it. That's why he had to die first so that you could actually be crucified into him. Because when you are crucified into him, then you are, you are able to be raised in him and actually live as a new creation. Coming from the, the, the past that I have, this is why it used to drive me absolutely nuts when I would hear someone say, once an addict, always an addict. Or when guys would walk the doors of Teen Challenge and they would say, um, yeah, man, well, you just, well, you know, like, I mean, it would be like six, seven months in the program. And they would say, I'll never forget, there was this guy, um, Evan, and his last name was Evan Van Skyke. Uh, and I remember Evan. Imagine Evan coming in, um, super wiry dude, um, honestly had probably been to way too many raves in his, in his uh, drug-induced life, um, was just super wiry kid, super crazy. Um, we had to give him, like, I don't, I don't even know, like even decaf coffee would hype him up. And he used to walk around all the time just saying, like, I mean, he would be months into the program and, and he would just in, be introducing himself as like, hey man, yeah, my, name, my name's Evan. Um, I've been a heroin addict for this long and, and I'm in recovery. And no one really said anything for the longest time until finally there was one day he was talking with me 
And I, and I looked at him and I just said, Evan, I was like, what's, what's the motivation behind you introducing yourself to each person like this? Why, why, why present yourself this way? He's like, well, because I'm, 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 just, I'm just presenting people with, with who it is that I am. And I remember looking at him and I just said, since when did you have the right to pull Jesus down off that cross, redefine who he says that you are, and redefine yourself based off of your behavior rather than the identity of what someone died to give you? I was like, you, don't, you, you, you have lost your right to do that. And if that came through the torn veil with you, repent, turn back, go back and drop it off in the nail-scarred hands and continue on with your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, of which when you behold him, you are made into his likeness. Because when I look at you, I don't see Evan, the heroin addict. I see Evan, the righteous son of God, not because of righteous works that you have done, but because of righteous works that he has done for you. Everything in the kingdom is a living into and is a discovery of everything that Jesus has done for you. Everything in Christianity is an invitation. Everything in Christianity is an invitation and it is a pursuit of a heavenly husband, of a heavenly bridegroom towards his bride, wooing her into intimacy in a constant, daily, minute-by-minute response to the richness and kindness and glory of Jesus Christ. And here's what it means to live from going glory to glory to glory. Because we find out that, that he is that good, that good, that good. And so Paul is literally introduce it. Like you, you have to think like about how foreign this probably is to them. Like really contemplate this, this, this passage. You really have to put yourself, imagine years upon years, generation upon generation, striving to be something. And because of the sacrifice of one man, one person, who was fully God and fully man. He bridged this gap between human striving and relational resting, and it was called Christ. And he said, cling to me, cling to me. And he says, you are now, not to come, not later, you are now made holy. And each of you is invited to the feast of your heavenly calling. So fasten your thoughts fully onto Jesus, whom we embrace as our apostle and king priest. The book of Psalms says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. I want to be super vulnerable with you guys. Um, this just, I, I, I try to be vulnerable with you guys every single, every single Thursday night, but um, I especially would like to be vulnerable right now because I don't want to be vulnerable, and that's normally a sign that I should be vulnerable because I don't want to do it. Does that make sense? Oh, awesome. Um, I had a week this week of where I felt like Jesus was taking me and grinding me down almost into like this fine powder. And I would sit there and look at him and just say, and I had a couple of moments like this. What are you doing? This is not what I thought that this was supposed to look like. Why is this happening? Why are you doing this this way? 
Why does it feel like yet again, I've, 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 wanted, I've tried to take a step of obedience and it looks like this is the wall that I've knocked into? What are you doing in this? And I would have moments of where the Lord would not say anything. He wouldn't answer a single one of my questions, which just made me more frustrated. And I would beg and plead with the Lord, Lord, why, why are these things happening? Why am I feeling this way? Why are these things happening around me? Thing, like, why, why are thoughts coming into my brain? Why are, why are certain things keeping me up at night that, that haven't for a really long time? Why, why is my wife going on, like, week three of, this, of being more sick than I think I've ever seen her in our whole entire marriage? Why does it feel like people closest to me on our, on, our, on our team are just being attacked and going through it? Why does it feel like it's just everywhere I turn, there's, there's I don't know, like just what is going on? Very honest conversations with the Lord. And the only theme that I found was the Lord would not answer a single one of my complaints and he wouldn't give me a single answer to any single one of my questions. But without fail, every single time, I would sense the nearness, the tenderness, and the stillness of the Lord to say, look at me, look at me. Oftentimes, I would just hear him say my name and, and the very syllables of my name coming off of his tongue would break oppression, would break fear, would even break my anger and just say, fine, I don't care. And I would hear the Lord say, I'm excited about this new season because I've paved the way before you. If you climb upon my shoulders, I'll carry you through it rather than you expecting to walk through it on your own strength. I don't know if this is for you. If this is for you, then take it. This is what the Lord is speaking to me personally right now. And very rarely will I do this. I, I try to teach in such a way that it is a corporate message being invited into a corporate word that is for us as a, as a community. Um, but in the, in the practice of being vulnerable right now, the Lord gave me language for what he is doing in me and my family in this season. And he's saying, I'm teaching you what it means to be poor in spirit. I'm teaching you what it means to be poor in spirit. I'm teaching you a theology of weakness. I'm teaching you about how much I applaud weakness. I'm teaching you about how the strongest in the kingdom are the weakest. Immediately going into a new season of we're in the natural, the only thing that people care about me is who's the strongest. And in the, in the spirit realm, it's the exact opposite atmosphere. And I'm not talking about here at 420. I'm talking about the strongest of a part-time thing that I'm doing outside of 420. And the Lord is, I believe, grinding my, me and my, my family, me and Brandy and our family down to where our only option is him. Our only option is him. And if I'm sitting there on the floor and my, and my only prayer, we, we had a prayer set one day of where Taylor went into this moment of where she's saying, when I say help, you show up. It's probably the, my most rewinded inner, um, video on my phone from my 420 YouTube playlist that I have. Of when I, when I, it's so simple. When I say help, you show up. Because honestly, that prayer has just been my life in like, like literally moment to moment, moment to moment. When I say help, you show up. When I say help, you show up. And honestly, I'm, I'm not interested in 
Um, I think when the Lord is teaching you to be poor in spirit, you stop talking and you let him lead. And man, I'm, I'm like, I'm hesitant on how to say this. I love, love, love. I, I love declarations. I love, love, love declaring truth. I love it. I live for it. I believe it's kingdom. I believe it's biblical. But I believe when you're being taught how to be poor in spirit, you, you shut your mouth and set your eyes on him. And I don't try to declare myself out of a situation. I let him hold me in it. I let weakness be my portion. And that's not like fun or sexy or like extravagant to talk about. That's not, well, where's my breakthrough? Where's my miracle? Where's your healing? It's in, it's in him. It's, it's, in, it's in looking at him. Weakness is your qualification. Brokenness is your portion. Poor in spirit is where you find him. And I'm not, and what I'm not talking about, what I'm not talking about is giving you permission to stay in a place of everything's hitting the fan, everything's broken, everything stinks, everything is this, and you, and you walk around and you use your season as an excuse to be ticked off, rude to people, detached from community, and just ultimately just completely impersonal. It means that you have permission to come to Jesus, sit upon his feet and say, I'm not even going to pretend that I have this all together. Grind me down, spear me, separate joint from marrow, kill anything that needs to be killed in me, but promise me your presence. Promise me, dear Lord, have mercy on me. Promise me your presence and carry me through. And you entrust yourself into the sufferings of Christ. Because Jesus becomes your only portion. Jesus becomes your only reward. Jesus becomes your only answer. Jesus becomes your only daydream. Jesus even becomes, even every argument fails because you realize you're too weak to even have an opinion. Too weak to even pretend like you think you know what you're talking about. Is, is this landing or am I talking in a way that's just like, you're dude, you are talking out of your season and you're not making sense to any of us. If, is this making sense? Cool. Reason as to why I went into all of that. It's going to happen again, man. We're going to get through this whole chapter, though. I got, I, got to, I got to move along. Jeez. The reason why I brought that up is your thought life, your daydreams of the day, what gets that? Every single one of you in here. If I was to ask you to close your eyes right now, think about your bedroom or think about this room or someplace that you're in, your, your office, your cubicle, your cubicle, your job site, wherever it is, every single one of you could see it right now. As you're going throughout your day, what has the attention of your thoughts? Because it should be. As Paul says, I, I probably should stop saying that because Paul really isn't the, we don't know if he's the writer of Hebrews, but as the author says, taking those thoughts, fastening them fully onto Jesus and then whom we embrace. Or as the original translation says, with whom is our legally binding agreement. You are legally binded to Jesus. Divorce is not an option in the kingdom. 
It's not an option in anything. Why is all of this possible? Verse two says, for he was faithful to the father who appointed him in the same way that Moses was a model of faithfulness in what was entrusted to him. If we want more of the presence of God in our communities, in our lives, in our home, and in our families, jealously guard, jealously guard, jealously guard the measure that you are given. Jealously guard the measure that you are given. And what I, and what I mean by that is the slightest touch, the slightest revelation, the slightest feeling or, or bent that you have towards the Lord. Guard it and treasure it as the very romantic enticement from the king's heart calling you into the king's chamber saying, that's mine, I'm grabbing hold of it. This is mine. This is my gift. It belongs to me. I'm not talking about a lifestyle of evangelism, reaching out to other people. That's, that's a completely separate topic. But I'm talking about the way that Jesus reveals himself to you. You guard that and you protect that in the same way that a newly married and a newly wedded couple is learning to protect that marriage covenant, which really should be done every year, throughout, every day, every year throughout marriage, but it's, it's that intentional, which congratulations, by the way, to Paige and Ethan on their, on their engagement, official, officially official. Yes, yes, look at that. Look at God. Look at, look at God. Glory, glory. <laughs> If we want more of the Lord in our meetings, in our lives, and in our families, I want to be found jealously guarding, properly stewarding the measure of himself with which he has given me. And I stumble through that thought because in the same coin, in, in, in a same paradox, Jesus has not held back a single ounce of his life from you. A couple of weeks ago, Actually, it was probably like a couple months ago, we did a teaching on the presence of God and we talked about the difference between God's manifest presence and God's abiding presence. And I, I want to get to a place in my life of where I can't even get out of my car to go to the next thing that I'm doing until it's like, okay, am I aware of the Lord? Like, for, seriously, am I, am I aware of the Lord? Not, not just, am I aware of him with me, upon me, in me? I, I, I lean back and dissolve myself into his being. Okay, awesome, let's go. And I, and I jealously guard that time. And then when we come in on Thursday nights, Thursday nights is the two-hour momentary interruption, public interruption to a private romantic life with King Jesus. And we just happen to enjoy that public interruption together as a community. And you want to know what's great about that is no one comes into the room feeling like they have to prove anything. Because he's already approved of you in the secret place. And you bring in secret, you bring out of secret into public to where it becomes a celebration rather than a competition. And then we don't have worship leaders trying to do it right, sing it right, get it right. We have worship leaders that are enjoying the Lord and they accidentally let us follow along in the process. 
We have a teacher that opens up the Bible, stumbles his way through scripture as he's letting it break his own life and form his own life and says, hey, come along in this journey with me. I have no idea what the heck I'm doing, but I know it's beautiful. We have someone get a, we have someone that gets a word of knowledge or a prophetic word or starts prophesying and says, how do we do this? I don't know. Let's just go. Let's just do it. Because at the end of the day, the father's heart is not a grading system or a report card of your religious performance. It is the place with which you are home in and you live from. The only thing that disqualifies you in the kingdom is your refusal to go for it. And it disqualifies you because you refuse to go for it. It had nothing to do on the father's end. Uh, verse 3. Uh, let's finish through verse 2. I cut that short. For he was faithful to the Father who appointed him in the same way that Moses was a model of faithfulness in what was entrusted to him. But Jesus is worthy to receive a much greater glory than Moses. For the one who builds a house deserves to be honored more than the house he builds. Every house, this is why we say that the Lord is the leader when we come in here, we say the Lord is the leader. The Lord is the leader. One day we're going to, if this building is ever ours, we're going to spray paint it on the wall. The Lord is the leader because we're not honoring the house. We're honoring the owner and the leader of the home. Every house is built by someone, but God is the designer and builder of all things. The book of Proverbs says a man may make his plans, but ultimately the Lord's purpose prevails. A man may make his plans, but ultimately the Lord's purpose prevails. What is that not saying? It's not saying don't have vision for your life. Don't think critically. Don't think strategically. It's not saying you're not allowed to cast vision, get excited I mean, with, with, without, without a vision, without some place of our eyes fixed on, we will always retreat to our past. And it, is, and it is for a lack of vision that the people of God perish. But the minute that we say, this is what we're building, and this is what we're doing, and this is how it goes, and this is how it is, and this is your role, your role, your role, this is how we do this, and we accessorize Jesus rather than source Jesus, the movement is already over. And it just became a moment that was just another cool service or a cool event. Or it's completely void of conviction and we're only psyched and excited and amped up to the amount of people that are in the room. And then we have, and then we have to fall in love with celebrating results because that's the only thing we're living for in the first place. And you get to a place of where you celebrate results for so long, when he actually does come into the room, you don't even recognize him. Because he waits to be wanted. He will not force himself upon anyone. I believe. I, will, I believe he will entice you and will pursue you, but he will take every step for you but one. And it is the surrender and the laying down of your own will, your own ego, your own pride that just finally says, fine, I'm yours. Take me, carry me, fix me, heal me. Don't even actually fix me. Knock me down and repair me and restore me. God is the designer and builder of all things. Everyone in here say all things, all things. Indeed, Moses served God faithfully in all he gave him to do, all that God gave Moses to do. His work 
prophetically illustrates things that would later be spoken and fulfilled. But Christ is more than a servant. He was, as, he was faithful as the son in charge of God's house. And now we are part of his house if we continue courageously to hold firmly to our bold confidence and our victorious hope. I think it's really, really, really good news that Jesus is a jealous God. I used to hate that verse for a number of reasons because I was reading it through a lens and through an eye of, of old covenant, refusing to pass through the torn veil. I'm very thankful that Jesus is jealous because it means that his capacity and his ability to hold me and hang on to me is more powerful and more great and more strong than my ability or capacity to hold on to him. And oftentimes, at the end of the day, we measure a successful day based off of our love and how evident or how profound our love for God was rather than the constant, never-changing, always true north leading an expression of God's love. And how well did you simply yield into it? How well did you simply give yourself over to it? And then at the end of the day, it becomes a lot less about what you have done and way more about what he has done. I was learning this week um, in, in the book of Matthew when Jesus is saying, we prayed it before the service, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Oftentimes we think of that word yoke as the thing between an oxen, yoke, and that is true, like that is a yoke between an oxen, but in Jewish culture, a rabbi, whenever he would have his disciples or his, um, yeah, his, his disciples underneath of him, that rabbi's like um, style of, of mentoring to his students, his discipleship, that was actually called his yoke. It was actually called like, hey, this is like, like rabbi, whatever, like rabbi Anthony, this is, this is his yoke for us. This is, this is how he asks us to behave, follow, and be. Jesus Oh, man, Jesus, our eternal heavenly rabbi, yokes us up with something that is gentle and light. So just stop for a minute. It's gentle and it's light. It's not gentle because he's restrained. It's gentle because he's a shepherd that when he finds you, he puts you on his shoulders and carries you home. It's light because the only burden that ever existed was bore upon him because he that knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. His yoke, his teaching, his discipleship, his mantle upon you is easy and light. Okay, so why does the season that I'm going through feel like hell on earth? Why does it feel like I'm being crushed? Why does it feel like I'm being grounded down? Why, does, why is there loss in my life? Why is it that these things, these things, and these things are still happening? Quite frankly, I have, I have no idea. I have no fancy one-liner. I have no fancy theological statement. I have no idea other than the fact that if you want an easy life, then don't follow Jesus. But if you want a life of where you are wrapped and kept safe and carried in love... 
Jesus is waiting. I'm not going to give you an answer for your trouble, for your hardship, or for crap that hits the fan in your life, other than the fact that he's waiting for you there. You can't know him on the mountaintop until you've rested with him in the valley. Before I ever try to speak for him in public, I need to learn what it means to lay with him in private. And every issue, every trial, everything that I have in my life that I'm dealing with, regardless, I make a zero tolerance policy in my life. Zero tolerance policy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He will not, he will not rewrite this word. He will not undo it. He will not redo it. He will not say, oh, well, for a season, I'm yoking you up with stress and anxiety. He will not say that. It is not in there. It is not your portion. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie. Don't even spend time paying attention to the lie. Disempower it by ignoring it. Look unto Jesus and run. Hebrews says, as we get later on into the end of the book, With the author and perfecter of your faith in front of you, stripping off to the left or to the right. Don't even give attention to the left or to the right. Look unto Jesus and let him transform you. I've been learning. Actually, I'm going to pause there. I felt like I wasn't supposed to. We're going to turn on that real quick. Let's just keep going. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's keep going. Verse seven. This is why the Holy Spirit says, if only you would listen to his voice this day, don't make him angry by hardening your hearts like your ancestors did during the days of their rebellion. Well, oh, like the days of the rebellion when they were tested in the wilderness. Verse 9. There your fathers tested me and tried my patience. This is an excerpt, by the way, out of Psalm 95. If you're wondering if it sounds like this language is coming out of something previously written, flip over to Psalm 95. You'll see it there. There your fathers tested me and tried my patience. Even though they saw my miracles for 40 years, they still doubted me. This ignited my anger with that generation. And I said about them, they wander in their hearts just like they do with their feet. And they refuse to learn my ways. My heart grieved over them. So I decreed they will not enter into my rest. Now, this is, let's smash this down into a bite-sized portion here really quick. Because God is a jealous God, because he is holy, because he is revered all through heaven, because there is a love that is so extravagant about him, it is worthy to be healthily feared. It grieves, even moves the father's heart to a righteous, sinless anger that he would say, There's nothing left. I I cannot die. What we will actually learn this later on in Hebrews chapter six, saying if man tries to re-crucify me and like and almost essentially says, hey, what you did, not enough. He's like, there's no hope for them. 
There's no hope for that type of individual. He, he even says, you might, you might as well, like even repentance actually can't save you. I mean, he's, 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 it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty gnarly language. He's pretty serious about it, saying, if you don't trust in me as the risen Lord and trust in the ways that I have moved and acted in front of you, outside of me, I'm sorry, there's, there's no other option. There's no other hope for you. I don't know what to tell you. And what's interesting, in the desert, the acts of God revealed the ways of God. And the way that God acted with Israel, he was trying to reveal to him through his actions the way that he wanted to be with him. But they were stuck in this religious, like legalistic bondage that kept him from having these, all of these New Testament foreshadowings of him. And it kept them in this place of bondage that grieved the Lord's heart, moving him to a righteous anger saying, I don't know what else to do for you. I don't know how else to present myself to you. You're, you're far from me. What more do you want? I mean, you can't get much more blatant than a, a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day getting fed by literally ravens from heaven, getting, getting fed by manna from, from heaven. Think about it. There's a generation that was born in the wilderness and for their whole entire lives, they thought, oh, breakfast comes from the birds. <laughs> like they, they were raised their whole entire life. Oh, cool. Birds bring us breakfast. Like, this is, like they were just raised in this generation of miraculous works. And still yet, they did not heed the Lord. I don't even, honestly, I don't even have an answer for that. I don't even know how that's possible. Yes. It's like, it's, I would literally say like, that's like when, when people say miracles, signs and wonders, that's like, that's a wonder. Like that is like, that is a wonder, Right. But how guilty am I? How guilty am I that I live this way constantly in my own heart? How guilty am I that I find myself needing to repent and saying, dang it, Lord, I have forgotten. I have wandered from the things that I did at first. I have lost my first love. Forgive me. Forgive me. I repent. I, 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 I change direction. I look at your acts in my life so that I may know your ways. I come back to you. Take me back. And before you can even hit the ground in repentance, he runs to scoop you up to restore you. It's interesting. There was this story from a shepherd that I was learning about as I was reading. And a shepherd described that when a sheep goes out and gets like lost, like in a thorn or a thicket, or like the sheep is just lost. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. So a sheep, imagine like this sheep gets lost. And once it realizes, like once the sheep realizes, okay, I'm lost, it'll fall over and give up on life. <laughs> like just, and <laughs> just, it'll fall over, give up on life. And the shepherd said that like, it ceases to strive for its life. And it like, it just gives up on all hope. <laughs> and it literally, and the shepherd will come and pick up the sheep. But what's interesting, I don't, I don't know why chemically or scientifically this happens, but the shepherds say that, that I was learning this from, that, or that I was reading this in, the, the shepherd says that um, because it's rolled over on its side, 
it like loses function of its legs. So even when you pick up the sheep and set it down, it just falls right over again. Like, ah, <laughs> and it just, and like, and it despairs for life again. And they said the only way to properly restore the sheep is to pick it up, embrace it and hold it until the blood returns to its legs. And then you gently set it back down and lead it back to the herd. But that the shepherd literally has to restore the sheep to life by holding it. You can Google this like it's like it'll make you laugh. It's ridiculous. But isn't that us? Isn't that me? Isn't that you? Like, I don't know, I can, it's definitely me. I despair for life, and my only answer is, all right, I've fallen on my side, like, help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Like, <laughs> like, come, like seriously, come save me. This is all he wanted from Israel. I believe he wanted their repentance. He wanted them to acknowledge these holy acts that he was doing. And for whatever reason, just like they do with their feet, they refuse to learn my ways. I want my heart to be so tender, so sensitive to the Lord that the very mention of the, this is what I pray for us as a community, as a church. We are so sensitive to the name of Jesus even simply by mentioning his name, it, it, it breaks your heart and you begin to cry. I can't, I, can't even, I can't even say his name without something happening in me that is just a, whoa, hold on a minute. Because there's such a reverence and a sensitivity to the name that it's, no, he, honor, he, 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 honors, he honors his own name above, above everything. Even the mention of his name stills me, silences me. Even his own name is the only prayer that I pray in the day. Because in the name of Jesus, saying the name of Jesus, I sum up every word that could ever possibly be said. In the only name and in the only word that ever matters, Jesus. I breathe it in and I exhale it out. Jesus. My heart grieved over them, so I decreed they will not enter into my rest. And if you think God is being cruel or being mean, he didn't say that his rest wasn't available. He didn't say that they couldn't enter his rest. It was because of their refusal to acknowledge his ways. They disqualified themselves. What did I say last week? It was, it was either A.W. Tozer or I think it was him. Let man, let no man say that he wants more of God, for he has as much of God as he wishes to have. Meaning, if you want more of God, go get him. He does not withhold himself. Verse 12. We're going to do this. I believe in this. So search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God.
This is the time to encourage each other and to never be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For we are mingled with the Messiah. And if we will continue unshaken in this confident assurance from the beginning until the end, for again, the scriptures say, if only today you would listen to his voice, do not make him angry by hardening your hearts as you did in the wilderness rebellion. The same people who were delivered from bondage and brought out of Egypt by Moses were the ones who heard and they still rebelled. They grieved God for 40 years by sinning in their unbelief until they dropped dead in the desert. Imagine being so stubborn, you die in your stubbornness, which trust me, by the way, I can, I can totally understand that there have been times of where it's like, if, unless it was a rhema word from the Lord and the Lord's voice broke through, I believe I would have sat there as stubborn as my own son is when he doesn't want to eat something that he doesn't want to eat. I can throw the worst fits. Praise God, praise God for his mercy upon us. Yes? So God swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. It is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. If you're, if you're not already picking up on a theme throughout this chapter, disobedience is directly attached to unbelief. Unbelief is directly attached to disobedience. These are two things that the author is like, he's, he's like swinging both directions on this swing of disobedience because of their disobedience and then because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief, they had this act of disobedience. Any area in my life that I refuse to surrender over to the Lord is ultimately because it is inhabited by strongholds of unbelief. That if not properly worked through with the Lord, ultimately over time will just give way to me just choosing to live rebelliously. And how, and how do you do that? Okay, so, so okay, what, what do I do if I have those areas? What, what do I do? And by the way, don't go looking for them. You don't need to correct yourself. This is, this is not, okay, well, self-inspection time. When he says to inspect their hearts, he's, he's not talking about self-righteousness. If the Lord, remember, you're, you are running with this race fixed on him. This is why I said it last week, it's hard to read Hebrews as, as chapter by chapter. You have to read it as a letter because it was written as a letter. So it's like he says this, and then in, in a couple paragraphs, he literally says, oh, hey, by the way, this is what I mean. It's just unfortunate that we are teaching it in a way that we're going week by week, and we're leaving you on these huge cliffhangers. He says this, and then he says, by the way, the way that you do all of this is by keeping your eyes on me. If he brings something into your attention and into your sight that he wants you to process and work through, then, then do it and go through it with him. Don't, don't go look, don't, do not go looking for it. 
And don't think, well, I'm going to go look for it as my reasonable and honorable service to the Lord. That is not your reasonable and honorable service. That's just you trying to paint a pretty face over self-righteousness and calling it godliness. Godliness is false righteousness and holiness void of power because it leaves you at the center. So lay down and die into the life that he has for you. Not reconstructing the life that you think you need to have in your own strength. Don't go looking for self-improvement. Don't go looking for I was doing this so many times this week. I would sit there with the Lord and say, if you would just tell me what to do, I'll do it. If you tell me how to fix it, I'll fix it. If you tell me, if you come and correct me right now, I give you my word, I will do it. And I remember sitting there, I had this encounter with the Lord this week of where I said, this is, do you see why I was praying about all this? I was mad, I was angry. I was like, this is exactly what I didn't want to happen. This is exactly what I wanted to avoid. This is exactly what I did not want this season to look like. Look at all this crap that is coming out. Do you see why I was praying? This is exactly what I didn't want it to look like. A whisper broke through my yelling and said, this is exactly what I wanted it to look like. Because look at what I get to sit with you in. Look at how you get to find me. Look at how I get to find you. This is exactly how I wanted it to look. It shut me up in that moment for, I don't think I actually continued praying. I literally sat there and dealt with the voice that broke my complaining. Powerful, beautiful, amen? This is exactly how I wanted it to look. I'm not interested in punishing you into purity. I'm interested in holding you into holiness. I'm not interested in you following orders. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. There's many of you in here. The Lord is already fully convinced of your ability to be a good soldier. You're not a soldier in the kingdom. You're a son and then a soon-to-be bride. I know what the word says in 1 and 2 Timothy about being a good soldier for Christ. That is a momentary metaphor not talking about kingdom identity. You're not, in, you're not sinning and you're not in anything weird if you call yourself a soldier of Jesus Christ, but just hear what I'm saying. You can call yourself a soldier all day if you want. Is all this making sense and landing with you? Cool. Stand to your feet with me as we close. A couple things as you're standing to your feet. Do not leave here tonight. Do not leave here in self-inspection. Man, is there, is there unbelief in my heart? What areas of my life am I being rebellious in? What areas of my life can I be doing better in? Because what's so crazy about that cycle and what Satan does, what's the only thing that you're doing in that prayer time? You're talking about and looking at yourself. Talking about and looking at yourself subtly just driving you, driving you, driving you into deeper self-consciousness and self-obsession. Instead, look at him, love him, and then if he brings something as you're running with eyes fixed on him, if something comes into your lane of sight that he says, I don't want to go around this one, I want to go through this one. Take my hand, we're going through it together. Then a gentle and a, a, a gentle and easy yoke will come upon you to carry you through it. But only that way, 
only that way. Amen. So as you leave here, you get in your cars, you drive home, you wake up tomorrow for work, you go throughout your week, you come back next week. It is a gentle, light, and easy yoke that you leave here under and that is upon you. Amen? Amen. Jesus, thank you for Hebrews chapter 3. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you actually even have the capacity to get angry because that actually shows that you care. I don't care if they love me, whatever. You're, you're lost, I'll just go over here. Like, thank you that you are actually moved by the fact that I have a love that I offered. I have a vulnerability that I presented and they turned their backs on it. How that has grieved me. Thank you that it actually grieves you. It shows that you actually have emotions. It shows that you actually care. Anyone that is grieved or moved to frustration over anything is ultimately because deep in their hearts, they cared about whatever the thing that, it, that was that they were upset about in the first place. Holy Spirit, fill us here now with a healthy fear of the Lord that we might not sin against you, that we might not turn our eyes away from you, that we would understand hard words like this in light of a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. We would let ourselves up off the wrestling mat of life and lean back into that yoke. We would satisfy your jealousy simply by just yielding. Just give me yourself. Holy Spirit, please help me. Please help us. We fall at your feet, declaring our dependence upon you, how badly we need you. Let us not leave here impressed with ourselves. We love you. We honor you. And we leave here with you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love y'all. We'll see you guys uh, next week on, on Thursday.